Check, check, mic check. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Mindset Design Podcast with your host, Arlen Moore, where I just dive into my interests in business, in creating an impact, in the body, health, health hacking, relationship dynamics, personal branding, and today, in one of my favorite topics, spirituality and religion and the like. And today I'm going to read to you guys from an article that I wrote uh, that I blasted out to my email list. If you're not on my email list, go give me a, subs- a subscribe. A, a, whatever. Go give me a follow on email or whatever the fuck. Um, you know, I had abandoned email for quite a while, but I've come back to it because I've just found a much more enjoyable experience in in terms of using email, uh, like a a better platform to to email people. And I just found that it works really nicely into my daily routine. And like, I kind of do it for myself anyway, like the the emails that I'm writing essentially become the, the, uh, creative for everything that I do. Like they become the source of, of, uh, of Instagram stories, they become the source of blog posts, they become tweets, they become YouTube videos even, and they're just like a really good way for me to unleash my subconscious of all the things that are going on in there. And yeah, like I said, today um, today I'm talking about spirituality and religion, and uh, I'm going to mention a guy that I will probably mention a few times, his name is Sam Harris, I feel like not too many people at least in this, you know, the internet entrepreneurial space, know who he really is. Um, I I don't, like, every time I bring him up, people don't know who he is, or they've heard of him, or they've maybe seen him, but they they don't find him super interesting. I personally find find him to be, like, one of the most important thinkers of our generation. And his name is Sam Harris, and he basically, like, the way I found out about him, and I talked about this in the Religion Podcast recently— is that I was, you know, um, I was doing, uh, uh, I, w- I was very deep diving into like philosophy and specifically like the proponents against, you know, the Abrahamic religions. Uh, there's a guy named Christopher Hitchens, um, Richard Dawkins, and Sam Harris. And these three made a, you know, have made a lot of content and uh, written books like uh, fighting against religion and you know if you've if you've been following me on social media for a while you know that you kind of know my story and I, I made a whole episode a little a couple episodes ago that you can you can go listen to about my whole history and experience with religion and sort of where I stand now but you know Sam I think is just the most convincing orator of our time when it comes to how do we view religion? I mean, how do you... It's really hard to argue with the man. Like, I, there's very few things that he has said that... Like, I, I would just fucking melt if I had to debate the guy on anything. Like, I, he just is so good at making his opponent look like a complete idiot. Um, like, in, in a respectful... In a very respectful way. And so... Um, and I'm, I'm about to... I'm actually driving as I'm recording this right now, but I'm about to pull over and, and read you guys the article that I wrote. But, uh, but yeah, um, he's just fucking hilarious. And that's, that's what I want to, that's what I'm excited to, 
kind of talk to you about in this in this podcast is just some of the really uh, funny things that he has said um, relatively recently um, in in a book that he wrote called The Moral Landscape. Now, the whole premise behind The Moral Landscape, as I will get into, and I'm, I'm just pulling in, pulling in right now, is that we don't need religion to determine moral values and what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. And this is, uh, this is a book that came out a few years ago now, but um, I was revisiting it just because, uh, you know, this whole year I've been re- re-looking at religion and spirituality and everything. And so here's, here's the title of my article. It's called The Good Life Versus the Bad Life. And the subtitle is God, the Best Marketer of All Time. Today's morning bike ride through the cold winter trees of the Northeast was nothing short of consciousness boosting. The first half of the ride, I was listening to Sam Harris's book, The Moral Landscape. The book is about how he envisions that science can determine human moral values, arguing that there is no need to rely on thousand-year-old religious books in order to know what is right and what is wrong. And Sam, while making complex points about important topics— such as the nature of the human mind and how we can maximize human well-being is actually simultaneously one of the funniest writers that I've ever read. And here's an excerpt that I find absolutely hilarious from the book. The bad life and the good life. For my argument about the moral landscape to hold, I think one need only grant two points. One, some people have better lives than others. And two, These differences relate in some lawful and not entirely arbitrary way to states of the human brain and to states of the world. To make these premises less abstract, consider two generic lives that lie somewhere near the extremes of the continuum. The bad life. You are a young widow who has lived her entire life in the midst of civil war. Today, your seven-year-old daughter was raped and dismembered before your very eyes. Worse still... The perpetrator was your 14-year-old son, who was gorded to this evil at the point of a machete by oppressive gang drug, uh, drug-addled drug soldiers. You are now running barefoot through the jungle with killers in pursuit. While this is the worst day of your life, it is not entirely out of character with the other days of your life. Since the moment you were born, in fact, your world has been th- a theater of cruelty and of violence. And you have never learned to read, and you've never taken a hot shower, or traveled beyond the green hell of the jungle. Even the luckiest people you have known have experienced little more than an occasional respite from from chronic hunger, fear, apathy, and confusion. Unfortunately, you've been very unlucky, even by these bleak standards. And your life has been one long emergency, and now it is nearly over. Versus the good life. You are married to the most loving, intelligent, and charismatic person that you have ever met. Both of you have careers that are intellectually stimulating and financially rewarding. For decades, your wealth and social connections have allowed you to devote yourself to activities that bring you immense personal satisfaction. One of your greatest sources of happiness has been to find creative ways to help people who have, been, who have not had your good fortune in life. In fact, you've just won a billion-dollar grant to benefit children in the developing world. If asked, you would have you could say that you could not imagine how your time on Earth could be better spent. 
Due to a combination of good genes and optimal circumstances, you and your closest friends and family will live a very long, healthy life, untouched by crime, sudden bereavements, and other misfortunes. That ends the quote from The Moral Landscape. Maybe I have a problem, but I find this excerpt extremely hilarious in a dry and dark humor type of way. The creativity behind the absurdity of his bad life uh, example, when juxtaposed with the good life, puts the argument of any opposition in a tough position. In this instance, Sam's opposition would have to argue, one, that there is no difference between these two life situations, which would make them look like a complete idiot, and two, that if some random tribal culture determined that the bad life was actually the was actually better than the good life, that this could that we could not place any moral judgments on that tribe. And in this just, juxtaposition lies the crux of the argument of the book, that we are more than capable of mo- making moral judgments about good and bad, right and wrong, using our own minds, and need not rely on any ancient books or religions. But I digress. Earlier this year, one of the inspirations that spawned my desire to start reading the Bible was that I had begun to notice that a lot of Christian lifestyle recommendations, in specific, those regarding choosing a wife, how to build a good relationship, and how to combat evil. And these recommendations, recommendations in my eyes, were actually pretty good. And it's become more and more clear to me that it is, in fact, a good idea to wait until marriage to have sex. That a man will be pretty happy if he selects a wife based on the Proverbs 31 outline. And that most women may likely even be happiest in their nature if they ascribe to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Yet, where I believe most religions go wrong is that they cherry-pick the obviously good recommendations while ignoring the countless amounts of ridiculousness that you can find only a few pages away. For example, in the Bible, you will find these verses. This is Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 to 10. If your very own brother, or your son or your daughter, or the wife you love, or your closest friend, secretly entices you, saying, Let us go worship other gods, do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death, and then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death. Here's from Exodus 22-18. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Or here's Deuteronomy 25-11-12. If two men are fighting, and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. Or, in Ezekiel 23, verses 19 to 20, Yet she increased her prostitution, remembering the days of her youth when she engaged in prostitution in the land of Egypt. She lusted after their genitals as large as those of donkeys, and their seminal ammunition was as strong as that of stallions. And here's, uh, we'll just do one more, Exodus 4, verses 24 to 25. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And then Zipporah took a flint out and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, You are indeed a bridge groom of blood to me. Now, of course, the educated defense of the Bible will say something along the lines of, Well, yes, these may be absurd verses, but 
When interpreting these challenging, challenging passages from the Bible, it's essential to consider their historical and cultural context as they were written in times and societies vastly different from our own. And passages such as these also require understanding the specific literary genres and the narrative context within the Bible. Theological interpretations often view these texts through the lens of overarching themes like grace and redemption, as opposed to literal words or law or action, or something like that. Now look, I believe that the Bible possesses great wisdom, but I'm not going to blindly pretend that it is perfect when it has stuff in here like this. And regardless of the narrative... Hold on, my buddy Ben is... Uh, uh, what's up, kid? I'm finishing up... Uh, I gotta finish recording this thing real quick. Um, regardless of the narrative context or whatever, I personally believe that the strongest argument that Christians or really any religious people have to support the power and possible divinity of religious texts is the length at which they continue to stay relevant. I mean, perhaps God is just the ultimate memer. Like, he knew a thousand years later that people would still be getting clickbaited by the stuff in the Bible like cutting off foreskin or stoning prostitutes or burning witches. And perhaps God is just the best marketer of all time. And knew that putting these in, these types of stories in the Bible would fire people up for eternity and thus bring them ultimately closer to the higher truths that you can find in the Bible. I mean, who knows, really? But curious what you think. DM me on Instagram. My Instagram's at Arlen. And uh, with that, I'm going to go on a walk with my buddy from my hometown, and uh, I'll see you guys in the next episode.